Over the last few weeks, we've been doing a series on prayer. And today, the title or the theme we're looking at is Doing the Right Thing. And we just had a few um, bits of readings there from Daniel, really to put over the point of uh, different men doing the right thing. The big question is, do we really want to do the right thing? If we're honest, we might say we want to be seen to be doing the right thing. But if we can get away without being noticed, there may be times when we're not so positive about doing the right thing. Of course, there's then the question of exactly what is the right thing. Well, for the Christian, doing the right thing means living according to God's word, the handbook of life. But also doing the right thing for the right reasons is so important. Attitude plays a major factor in doing the right thing. In fact, our attitude is the aroma of our heart. We do the right thing because we want to please God more than we want to please ourselves or others. However, doing the right thing at times is very difficult and sometimes there can be a cost as Daniel faced in the readings. If we know why we're doing something and how it benefits us and others around us, then it becomes easier to do. And over time we become more and more consistent with it. American J.C. Watts once said, Character is doing the right thing when nobody's looking. There are too many people who think that the only thing that right that's right is to get by, and the only thing that's wrong is to get caught. George Bernard Shaw said, Better keep yourself clean and bright. You're the window through which you must see the world. And another quote, goodness is the only investment that never fails. One of the most powerful things we can do for ourselves and our world is doing what we feel deep down is the right thing. One person in the Bible that always appeared to do the right thing is Daniel. And we're going to look at him and the Bible passages we had read earlier. We had read earlier. But before we do that, I'm going to do what some people might think is the wrong thing and tell you a few jokes. I'm sure you're familiar with the light bulb jokes. So here are a few which you may or may not have heard of. How many mystery writers does it take to change a light bulb? Answer? Two. One to screw it almost all the way in, and the other to give it a surprising twist at the end. <laughs> How many Einsteins does it take to change a light bulb? Answer? That depends on the speed of the change and the mass of the bulb. Or vice versa, of course. It might just be easier to leave the bulb and change the room. It's all relative. How many therapists does it take to change a light bulb? Answer, none. The light bulb has to want to change. (laughs) 
How many folk musicians does it take to change a light bulb? Answer, five. One to change the light bulb, and four to write songs about how much better the old one was. (laughs) How long does it take a performance artist to change a light bulb? I don't know, I left after the first hour and a half. (laughs) How many skateboarders does it take to change a light bulb? One, but it takes a hundred tries. How many agnostics does it take to change a light bulb? Answer, none. Agnostics question whether electricity really exists. How many bureaucrats does it take to change a light bulb? 100. One to change the bulb and 99 to write the environmental impact report. (laughs) And finally, how many chiropractors does it take to change a light bulb? Only one but it takes six visits. (laughs) We'd better do the right thing now and turn to our passages from Daniel. Where it takes one man to change the situation, it takes one man doing the right thing to make a huge impact on many others. And that's what doing the right thing does. It has a huge impact on others. Some people think that the Old Testament is old school but it has some amazing teaching in it and some incredible characters to learn from. Our readings from Daniel covered three different stories and although they didn't cover the full full story, they sort of gave us a flavour of what was going on. And we see in the first story, we begin to see the gifts of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of some great people. Prophecy, words of knowledge and interpretation of dreams. Not only great people, but Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, were all teenagers at this time. God can use any of us whatever age we are. We often think that we'll let young people get through their teenage years and then we'll, we'll let them come back and serve God. Being a teenager is particularly difficult nowadays and standing up for God even harder. But there is no greater respect than for any that do. That's why Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego gained the utmost respect. Firstly, in Daniel chapter 2, we read verses concerning the story of the greatest of the Babylonian kings, King Nebuchadnezzar, and his disturbing dreams. We're not going to look at the details of the dreams or their meaning, and you can read those later, but we are going to look purely at the role that Daniel played, and specifically with the theme of doing the right thing. The king had these disturbing dreams, and he's desperate to know what they mean. Some would say it was a nightmare, so he called in the experts of the day to explain the dream to him. Easy to do, is what the magicians of the time thought. Just making up something and putting some pizzazz on it and make it believable would be fine. But they had one big problem. Nebuchadnezzar was no fool. He tested the men to see if they were believable or not. Though the king may have made such a demand on these wise men previously, 
and been satisfied with their answers, he evidently had never asked them to interpret a dream that he discerned as such significance, with such significance. So he decided to test them. If they could predict the future by interpreting dreams, then surely they should be able to predict the past or reconstruct the past and recall the king's dream. So he refused to share the dream with them. The king reasoned that if they could not recall the past, why should their predictions concerning the future be trusted? The wise men answered the king, saying, There's not a man on earth who could tell the king his dream. No great king or ruler has ever asked anything like this of any magician or wise man. So they again asked to hear the dream from the king. And the king was furious, and he went off at the deep end, and ordered that all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And this, of course, included Daniel and his friends. So when the commander of the king's guard arrives at Daniel's door to execute him, what does Daniel do? Does he panic? Does he plead for mercy? It says in chapter 2, verse 14, that Daniel handled the situation with wisdom and discretion. He asked why the king would make such an order. And when told, Daniel immediately went to speak with the king. He asked for more time so that he could pray, so that he could ask God to reveal the dream. He then went home and told his three close friends. In verse 18, he urged his friends to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so that they wouldn't be executed. After prayer, God revealed the dream to Daniel in a vision that night. And what's the first thing that Daniel does when his, his prayer is answered? Probably if it was you or me, we would have rushed to tell the king and get the execution cancelled. But no, <clears throat> Daniel immediately praises the God of heaven. He says in verse 20, Praise the name of God forever, for he has all the wisdom and the power. That is something we don't always get right. When God answers our prayers, we don't even notice sometimes. Or we get all excited and tell others what has happened. But we don't always immediately praise the God of heaven who's provided the answer. In just a few verses in chapter 2 between 14 and 20, Daniel illustrates how to do the right thing. In a time of crisis, he doesn't panic. Firstly, he's wise and discreet. Secondly, he urges his friends to pray. And thirdly, when God answers his prayer in a vision, he's the, the first thing he does is praise God. Daniel showed he didn't want to take any credit for himself. He wanted to prove to the king that there is a God who is all-wise and all-powerful. He did the right thing. Doing the right thing may come in a variety of ways. Lawfully or by choice. It may be a law which is a mandate that is laid down and forced upon everyone for the safety and well-being of the public. 
We do it because we have to. And if we don't, there's a penalty or a consequence for disobeying. For instance, like speed and parking restrictions. I'm sure many of us would have suffered the consequences of failing to keep to the speed or parking restriction. I've recently received a letter uh, basically saying uh, an intention of prosecution, basically for doing 59 MPH on a motorway. So I was a bit gobsmacked. There were some temporary signs up, apparently, you were only meant to doing 50, even though there were three lanes. There were no visible uh, roadworks, and it was at night and raining, and the 50 signs were pretty uh, um, not regular. So I was um, a bit peeved off but getting that. But nevertheless, I had disobeyed the actual law, because the law says you should need to follow these signs. And uh, I congratulate anyone here who's never received a parking fine or a uh, a speed fine. And I'd I'd say you probably ride a bicycle. (laughs) Uh, Then there are the rules by design that God has laid down. Some coincide with the laws of the land and some are designed by choice. And we obey them because we love Jesus and want to do what he's asked us to do. Like not worshipping false idols, not lying, not cheating, not being unkind. The best way to do what is right is because we by choice have determined that that's what we want to do. One is mandatory and one is by free will. Which one do you think God prefers when he's looking at the people of God? Mandatory because we have to, or because we've determined to please God and want to make him happy. George Washington once said, Few men have the virtue to withstand the highest bidder. He was right. Most people have a price. A truly uncompromising man is a very rare commodity. But that is exactly the kind of man and the kind of woman that God is looking to do his work. When it comes to very special tasks and very special privileges and opportunities, God wants uncompromising people with character. God wants choice servants for choice ministries. Daniel was such a person. Daniel was a man who wouldn't compromise. Daniel was a man who had amazing character qualities and had an amazing commitment to virtuous and righteous character. And because of that, he was God's chosen man. It sets up Daniel for the rest of his years of his life as the mouthpiece of God, unequalled by any of the Babylonian wise men. Doing the right thing brings respect from every non-believer, even every non-believer. Well, not every non-believer, but non-believers. The Babylonian wise men were right in one respect. They said, there is not a man on the earth that can reveal the king's dream. If we think there's anything to horoscopes, tarot cards, seances, and that type of stuff, other than demonic influence and mind control, we've been misled. 
and the Bible warns against it. There is no such thing as reading the future. The only place we're going to read the future is in the Bible when God talks about it or reveals it. Many people are useful to God when there's no crisis. They are very capable when there's no storm blowing. But when the crisis hits, it separates the people with real commitment from those who are marginal. And when you get a crisis like this, an angry monarch who's about to slaughter all his wise men, and God's strategic man, Daniel, going to stand face to face, nose to nose with this king, you've got to have some deep character qualities. Daniel is the man for a crisis. In my Sunday school days, I can remember it being said, and you may well too, the words, dare to be a Daniel. And I guess that still applies now. Who would dare to be a Daniel? In this situation, everybody was frazzled, from the king on down. Everybody was frenzied. Everybody was in a state of panic. Everybody would have been out of sorts. Everybody was frustrated. Everybody was in fear. They were all in turmoil, except Daniel. He was calm. He was composed. Even though his life was on the line, he never panicked. He had this amazing confidence in God. He knew his destiny rested totally in God's sovereign will, as does ours. And though he was confronted by men, in verse 14, who sought to take his life, there is no panic, there is no frustration, there is no despair, just composure. People who respond like that in a crisis are already prepared before the crisis comes. They've already got it together. In the terrible stabbings around London Bridge on Friday, there would have been those who very understandably panicked and those who remained calm, even though their adrenaline would have been kicking in big time. I don't think we should judge either response, but at the end of the day, all our destinies in our future and our safety is ultimately in God's hands. Sometimes we will all have difficulty in acknowledging this as we like to be in control of our own destiny and our own safety. Daniel had the ability in the midst of panic to just put everybody at ease. That great calm composed character. If we can't stay composed in a crisis we're probably never really going to have an effective long range ministry because ministry is all about meeting one crisis after another. Daniel was not only composed, he was courageous. Where in verse 16, he had the boldness to actually go and see the king himself. He's this teenager, probably between 17 and 19 years old, just finished his three years of training and a Hebrew captive. He goes into the furious Nebuchadnezzar, this, this young upstart, one of his wise men who is nothing but an apprentice. And he asked the king to give him time and he would show the king the whole interpretation of the dream. King, I'm here to tell you 
that if you just give me a little time, I'll tell you the whole thing. Now, what is the one thing that the wise men ask for? Time. What is the one thing the king wouldn't give them? Time. What is the one thing Daniel asked for? What is the one thing he gets? Time. It must have been a difference in his approach. There was something courageous about him. His courage is almost audacious. Who is he? Who is he to go before the king Nebuchadnezzar? He had a strong, confident faith in God and was willing to face this frustrated, raging king. How did Daniel know he'd ever be able to tell that dream? Well, back in chapter 1, verse 17, it actually says that God had given Daniel the ability to reveal dreams and visions. Daniel would have known that. And he asked for time, and God gives him time. The very thing the king wouldn't give the others. Why did he do it for Daniel? Well, maybe because of chapter 1, verse 20, where it says, when the king examined the young men, he found Daniel and his three friends to be ten times wiser than the wisest men in Babylon. If we're doing what's right, we have nothing to fear. But Daniel didn't expect to receive what he needed without prayer. He didn't expect to receive it because he deserved it. He would have to be, it would have to be from the mercy of the God in heaven. Daniel and his friends laid hold of God in prayer and got answered through a vision. Sometimes when we pray, we decide in our own minds how God will answer and so totally miss the answer God has given. For those that have done the Alpha course, you may recall there's a really good example of this as follows. A very religious man was once caught in rising floodwaters. He climbed onto the roof of his house and trusted God to rescue him. A neighbour came by in a canoe and said, The waters will soon be above your house. Hop in and we'll paddle to safety. No thanks, replied the religious man. I've prayed to God and I'm sure he will save me. A short time later, the police came by in a boat. The waters will soon be above your house. Hop in and we'll take you to safety. No thanks, replied the religious man. I've prayed to God and I'm sure he will save me. A little time later, a rescue service helicopter hovered overhead, let down a rope ladder and said, The waters will soon be above your house. Climb the ladder and we'll fly you to safety. No thanks, the religious man said. I've prayed to God and I'm sure he will save me. All this time the floodwaters continued to rise. Soon they reached above the roof and the religious man drowned. When he arrived at heaven, he demanded an audience with God. Ushered into God's throne room, he said, Lord, why am I here in heaven? I prayed for you to save me. I trusted you to save me from that flood. Yes, you did, my child, replied the Lord. And I sent you a canoe, a boat and a helicopter, but you never got in. We cannot assume or presume when we pray how God will answer. 
For my thoughts are not your thoughts, and neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord in Isaiah 55. In Daniel chapter 3, we read very briefly part of the story of Daniel's three friends who refused to worship the golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And as a result, that story goes on, you will probably recall they get thrown into a fiery furnace. But God protects them and preserves them because they did the right thing. They refused to compromise, even though there were severe consequences. God will honour any decision we make that puts him first, even though it might initially seem to penalise us. When the king saw how God protected Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, he actually ended up praising God himself. And he also promoted the three of them to higher positions in the province of Babylon. In the story from Daniel chapter 6, that we also had read, we were reminded of the well-known account of Daniel being thrown to the lions in the lion's den. And once again, it illustrates Daniel being unwilling to compromise. He refused to pray to the king rather than the one true God. And he continued to pray three times a day, just as he had always done. There's no magic in praying three times a day. The point being that he prayed regularly. And it was a habit that Daniel continued on a daily basis. That's the lesson for us to learn, making praying a habit. It's very easy to let it slip or miss it out because we're too busy. But our lives become less fulfilled and less rich without it. Once again, God honoured Daniel for refusing to compromise. Trouble comes to all of us at different times and in different ways. The test is how we respond. Our faith is especially proved real when we hang on in times of adversity. And when required, we do the right thing. When we do the right thing, we raise our own self-esteem. We feel good about ourselves. And very often, other people will respond by giving us more respect and respond well towards us, as was the case for Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. So in conclusion, the lessons we can learn from Daniel can be summarised as be wise and discreet, something we should ask God to be, as we heard in the message last week, that Solomon did. Trust God to answer our prayers and ask our Christian friends to pray as well, particularly in a moment of crisis. Make sure we praise God when our prayers are answered, i.e. give him the credit that he deserves and not ourselves. Live prayerfully, make a habit of it. Refuse to compromise God's word to avoid consequences. Show the courage of our convictions which will bring long-term respect. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, on this first day of Advent, help us to commit to doing the right thing. 
We ask your forgiveness where we have failed in this respect and let you down. And we thank you and praise you that you are a God of forgiveness. Help us to commit to making a habit of praying to you on a regular basis throughout each day. So it's as if we're having an ongoing conversation. We are forever grateful to you for the prayers that you have answered, even if we have failed to realise it. And we wish to give you all the praise and glory for being in yourself our answered prayer. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.